This episode of The Protocol is sponsored by the Stellar Community Fund. Dive deep into the blockchain realm with The Protocol Podcast with Coindesk founding editor of The Protocol Newsletter, Brad Count, and tech journalists, Sam Kessler and Margot Nykirk. They unravel the intricate technologies powering cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, one block at a time. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello and welcome to the Protocol Podcast. I'm Brad Cowan here with my co-hosts Margot Nykirk and Sam Kessler. First, please do not forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol on Coindesk.com. And now, let's get right into it. We've got a special for the holidays. We're going to look back at the year 2023 in blockchain tech. And we've got a cool format. First, we're each going to give, each of us is going to give our favorite or stories of the year that we thought were pretty cool. Next, we're each going to give highlight projects that we found super interesting this year. And then we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we each have identified as some of the biggest trends of the year. And we'll have a little bit of discussion. So, all right, let's get into it. Margo, let's go to you first. What was your, what's the big story of the year that you want to highlight? I mean, when I think of a fun event sort of in the tech space uh, this year was uh, Zuzulu, which is not necessarily Ethereum only. It was for a wider tech audience. And it took place, for those who don't know, that Zuzulu was like a, an event in Montenegro. It took place in May. I think it was like a two-month-long gathering, and but some people went for a week, two weeks. Some people stayed there for the full two months. And it was all about longevity. And so they touched on different topics like AI, on health, on zero knowledge. But I think like what really drew people to Montenegro was the fact that you got a lot of FaceTime with Vitalik Buterin. And he was just like, you know, he was just camped out there for for two months. Some participants told me that they were put up in like a five-star uh, Chetty Hotel. Some camped it out in an Airbnb. There was even a participant I heard who stayed on a yacht. And then they would participate in these like kind of quirky, fun activities. Like there was cold plunges every morning at noon. Mind you, this is like March, April, May. So at that point, for those who don't know the Mediterranean, it's still not entirely warm that time of the year. So the cold plunges are cold. They did have dances and it was just like a weird gathering of people kumbayaing the whole tech industry and gathering together. I would love to be invited. I tried to this is my this is my formal like interview to be invited for next year. So Coindesk and the people organizing Zuzulu, please send me an email. I would love to come cover it. Never been to Montenegro. But yeah, so it was just like a weird happy event. And I think, you know, it was just nice to sort of watch this from afar or maybe be there in person during crypto winter, uh, just to see all these people get together and be passionate together about some really specific niche tech topics, including cryptography and zero knowledge. So yeah, I really loved writing that story. That was an amazing story, Margo. It really was was one of our most colorful pieces of the year. And and I just want to say, if Coindesk senior managers are listening, I fully endorse Margo's visit <laughs> to uh, Zuzulu. <laughs> as long as it doesn't conflict with her coming to Austin uh, for consensus. But anyway, little plug there. All right. So let's go to Sam, uh, what was your 
big story that you want to highlight for 2023? Yeah, not as much a single article as it was just like a big event that we haven't talked about as much recently, even though it was a pretty big deal as I remember it. So over the summer, Curve, one of the big DeFi protocols, decentralized finance protocols on Ethereum was hacked. Um, and although in, in monetary terms, um, $70 million, it wasn't the biggest ever DeFi or, or crypto hack by any means, it did kind of pose this sort of existential crisis for, for the wider decentralized finance space. Because Curve, like I said, is this keystone protocol. It's a corner of decentralized finance. It's seen as like a sort of blue chip. If not unhackable, then much less likely to get hacked than the newer upstart protocols that we often talk about on this show and write about. But when Curve was hacked, it kind of punctured that sense of security, I think, that a lot of DeFi crypto traders have. But on top of that, it was also a big deal because, and, and it was so existential because it showed how the founder of this protocol, which is essentially decentralized, had a huge percent of the overall supply of the Curve token, which is used itself a bunch in DeFi. And he also used that token as collateral in a bunch of DeFi lending protocols like Aave, which again are blue chips in their own way. But even though Aave wasn't hacked or exploited, the fact that there was a ton of this collateral that was owned by this one person, and then it sunk in price, leading to risks of liquidation, it meant that Aave then became at risk itself of essentially liquidating a bunch of users and having a bunch of other down the line ramifications that could have really disrupted that ecosystem. So yeah, it was not only that these protocols are not as safe as we might hope, but also just financially, the security, the risk models and stuff that we put together in decentralized finance were really tested by that event. Yeah. And this one person right in the center of it, who kind of seems to have escaped with the seat of his pants, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the protocols also escaped by the seat of their pants, but it's it's crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Should not be forgotten. That was also a super fun story of the year. Okay, I'm going to go with something a little more maybe boring, but big, which was Ethereum blockchain allowing validator withdrawals. And this was, you know, really a, a huge milestone for the Ethereum blockchain after they shifted to the, they made the historic shift to proof of stake away from the proof of work consensus algorithm that Bitcoin uses. And, you know, everybody had put money into this thing. And this was the first time they were going to allow people to basically take out their, their, you know, staking the, the, the ETH that they had staked to be a validator. It was a huge event in the market. People were betting on it. Is it going to work? You know, I don't think anybody really thought it was going to fail, but there was always a chance. And it turns out it did actually work. You know, I mean, we had our own experiment that we did with our, you know, the the predecessor to the protocol newsletter, Valid Points newsletter. You know, our, our a couple of our former colleagues had started this validator. CoinDesk had its own validator named Zelda. You know, and we went ahead and went through the process of of unstaking, and it was this huge queue. We didn't know what that was going to be like. It was weeks. You know, finally we got our ETH back. And I, I think maybe all of Ethereum roadmap was kind of in suspension until that happened, waiting for that to happen. And then, at least the way I see it, that sort of was passed and it allowed kind of all of you know, everything else that developed over the rest of the year. 
kind of unfolded from that point. It really kind of set the stakes. <laughs> I did really not intend that pun, but it's pretty uh it's pretty brilliant now that I pun. actually said it. But okay. <laughs> All right. So let us uh go to our next segment here. Which is, we're going to each talk about a project. All right, well, let's just keep going in order here. Margo, why don't you go first? I'm going to take it back to the very beginning of 2023. And this is not as much a project as it is a tech trend, a new technology. I think at the beginning of 2023, I remember writing a lot about account abstraction, which quick rundown for those who don't know, account abstraction basically uses smart contracts to execute crypto transactions. And this was like put into the limelight because Visa at the end of last year came out with a proposal to use Starkware infrastructure. And so Starkware is the company behind the Starknet blockchain to automate payments with account abstraction. And so this sort of started this conversation around bringing, you know, institutions and mainstream players onto the blockchain and how to make blockchain easier to interact with through different technological mechanisms. And one of those mechanisms is account abstraction. Basically, like problem that now exists on Ethereum is that most accounts are EOA accounts, so external owned accounts. And because of human error, you can lose your keys, which means that you can lose access to your crypto assets. So by merging EOAs with smart contract accounts, it sort of addresses those shortcomings. And there's like built-in safety mechanisms to regain access to your your portfolio if that's if that happens. And so this was a really hot topic at the beginning of the year. Starkware was sort of seen as like one of the initial big projects uh, bringing account abstraction on chain natively. And I think following that, Gnosis Chain also uh, has uh, account abstraction on chain. Even like some of the tech stacks, which I'm sure we'll get into afterwards. Like I think Matter Labs is has native account abstraction. So, but at the beginning, like at this year, it was really seen as like a plus in when it comes to dealing with these different projects. Less so this year, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of projects that now have account abstraction on uh, in their, you know, in their technology. And so it also goes to show how interesting it is that, you know, something at the beginning of a year seems like a really hot story. And at the end of the year, you're barely talking about it. But, you know, that's, that's the way that this industry works, I guess. So, but yeah, that was 2023. I love that one. I mean, I think it also gets at the heart of just how complicated all this stuff is. And, and some of these really complicated things are just really trying to make it easy for people, right? That's like kind of at your point. It's just like, yeah. how do you make it easy so that people don't have to worry so much about losing their keys? But uh, okay, Sam, how about you? Yeah, the, the company that I wanted to highlight is WorldCoin which some people listening to this podcast might be kind of angered by my even mentioning that as one of the big trends or things of the past year, which is kind of why I am mentioning it. So WorldCoin is the orb, the the eyeball scanning project that was co-founded by Sam Altman from OpenAI, although WorldCoin is a completely separate thing. It is ostensibly a, a, a blockchain project where they use zero-knowledge proofs and blockchains to essentially identify users as a way to show it's not as much an identification thing as it is a verification thing where they want to show that every user of this platform, every holder of a world ID or the, you know, up until recently, every holder of a world ID had to be scanned by this creepy Chrome orb, this shiny metallic ball that you look into in order to, you know, get vetted as a human. And the idea here is that you will be able to prove to companies that tap into WorldCoin and so on that you are a human, not an AI bot or a machine. You don't even have to be AI. But anyway, it does seem like a super, super useful thing. 
And I'm honestly, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it continue growing over the next several years because the need that they're trying to solve certainly seems like a big one, which is why it's gotten so much buzz on top of the fact that it's got this orb on top of the fact that it's related to Sam Altman. But the reason why it was such a big event over this past year was because it's so controversial. The somewhat, you know, dystopian nature of this chrome ball thing that I mentioned, looking into it and showing them your eyes and giving those scans, even though WorldCoin says that those scans get deleted, people didn't really love that, especially in the privacy security obsessed world of crypto. And just generally, people don't think that the idea of identification verification in this manner really adheres to the the ethos and the norms of, of crypto. But we'll see, you know, how things continue to shake out. I can't really get out of my head the image that we used on your story uh, yesterday, Sam, or this yesterday about WorldCoin. Yesterday, uh, where created by Siobhan, the artist Siobhan Wong uh, for our most influential series, and it's it's uh, Sam Altman looking into the orb. So you see it from that distorted fish eye lens. It's really cool. I mean, yeah, it is definitely it's quite disturbing. <laughs> Super disturbing. Anyway, uh, check that out on Coindesk.com. All right. I'm going to give mine now Bitcoin ordinals. Okay. Um, this was super fun story. Also super controversial. You know, it's people basically trying to create some of the fun stuff that you've seen in the Ethereum world with the NFTs and well, fun. You know, I don't know. People think of all these uh, technology for creating tokens on top of Bitcoin. Of course, most Bitcoiners really just hate the idea of any token besides, you know, Bitcoin, the original cryptocurrency. But even NFTs, you know, there's a little more openness to that kind of more broadly. And of course, the Bitcoin miners make tons of money from mining all this stuff. But there were there are a lot of purists who see who think that it's just you know it's not grown up stuff it's not really it shouldn't be on the Bitcoin you know blockchain because it's sort of just cluttering things up it's causing higher fees it's congestion it wasn't meant for that and so you know recently and but you know these are recently we we've seen uh, one mining pool try to start censoring those and they said it was spam filtering this is jack dorsey's mining pool ocean mining and then i just wrote a story today you know this is we're recording this early for the holidays but i wrote a story about how one of these things just sold for more than two hundred thousand dollars on in an auction on sotheby's so you know one person's spam is another person's high art or at least like you know take a flyer on a collectible <laughs> anyway you know, it just showed that a bit there's Bitcoin can is does have the possibility of doing more than just payments, you know, peer to peer network, uh, which is kind of what Satoshi wrote about. OK, uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to go in the biggest trends of the year. We'll be right back. Have a blockchain project idea and need funding to make it happen? Look no further. The Stellar Community Fund is here to help bring your project to life on the Stellar Network. This year alone, over $10 million in XLM awards have been allocated across more than 100 innovative projects. And your idea could be next. 
Approved project submissions can receive up to $100,000 in XLM per project. So head over to communityfund.stellar.org to get started. Coindesk's Money Reimagined with Michael Casey and Sheila Warren. I want to push back slightly on the idea that cash, the value of it, I mean, that's what FX markets are about, right? Is like arbitraging differences in cash value. And there's a whole gigantic market around currency exchanges. And so I think there that we do see trading that happens in cash. But to your point, you know, the use of cash as a means of payment, et cetera, is pretty robust and sticky as a concept. And I think the joke is always, you know, if cash didn't exist, no one would invent it. But hey, it, it does exist. And so that's the world that we're in. Look, there is a crypto angle in this. Our job is not to sit here as either geopolitical or conflict resolution commentators, but it matters to everybody, every human being. Given how horrific this story is, the fact that there was an order to shut down crypto accounts used by Hamas and that Binance came in to cooperate with that, of course, is yet another negative story around crypto. Take the frame from wherever you want to take it, but by remaining silent about bad actors in our industry, about criminal behavior, about terrorists, about whatever it is, and just focusing on the topic of our show, but I mean this more generally, by remaining silent, we are complicit. You heard what she had to say. Go out there, call spades, spades, stand up for what is right. Like just, it's time to to stop shirking the responsibilities we have. And it's just time to just stand up for what's right. Listen to Money Reimagined every Wednesday on the Coindesk Podcast Network. You can subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Okay, welcome back. We are going to launch into our chat on the biggest blockchain technology trends of 2023. Margo, we're going to stick with you first save the first for save the best for first as they say (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) all right so you go first margo so i think industry trends business side something that we've seen over the last couple months that i've been paying attention to is these institutional crypto exchanges are finding ways to go on chain this started off with Coinbase that launched, though we don't like to use the word launch over here, you know, inaugurated deployed. their base chain, deployed. <laughs> you actually said launch in the intro and I started laughing at that. So anyway, deployed the base chain, which makes use of the OP stack. And I think this is part of like a wider conversation that you were probably going to get into as well in terms of the different stacks that have come out over the last couple couple of months. But base started this trend. Then we saw OKX that was coming out with their own chain using the Polygon stack with their X1 chain. You know, Kraken, that should be coming soon. We don't know yet, but you'll hear it here first, hopefully. We're keeping an eye on it. You heard it here first. We're keeping an eye on it. We're keeping an eye on it. TBD. So I think, you know, this is a really, it's a moment that is sort of marking a new cycle, you know, as we're coming out of winter, as people have focused on building. And especially these, you know, gateways from like mainstream into this crypto native land that they're finding ways to sort of balance the two and get more people on chain while also like contributing to like these wider ecosystems. And so, yeah, I think that's something that's going to continue over the next few months. There's other exchanges out there. So, you know, maybe maybe we'll hear about some others, too. I don't know if that's happening. 
All right. Well, I don't, I'll make a one quick comment on Margo's and then Sam, you can go and then we'll kind of do the same for the others. But I mean, my quick comment is just, I guess there are probably people who might have expected that this would happen like this, that we would just see this, you know, a thousand flowers blooming in the world of L2s. And that would just be on steroids, just this trend. You know, we wrote about the cello blockchain. You know, it's not the tiniest blockchain, but it's not the biggest blockchain. But everybody's competing now that they're giving up the ghost of trying to be a standalone blockchain and going to become an L2. And all of these teams are competing for their business. I mean, that was just something that, you know, unfolded in front of our eyes. It was super interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess the higher level, the takeaway from all this is that these bigger companies like Polygon, Matter Labs, Optimism, Arbitrum, Starkware have these stacks now available for, for developers or for any company really to go and build their own chain. And so we're seeing on the one hand, like it's, it's the easiest it's ever been to this point to go and build your own layer two chain, to go and scale Ethereum. And so we, we're seeing all these projects now who want to contribute to that, but at the same time, it's like an explosion. And so I wonder, one thing we can look out for in 2024, which I guess is for another time, is you know what's going to happen with all these L2 chains. Anyway. My take. Okay. All right. Well, let's move to the next one here. All right, Sam, what do you got? Your trend for 2023. So I was kind of torn between, you know, calling this crypto winter or just bad vibes. But I, I, I think vibes were, were fair to say pretty bad. And if you want to call that a trend, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call that a trend, a trend of bad vibes in the crypto landscape, um, <laughs> landscape over the past year. I mean, I think that stemmed from a couple things. First off, Markets weren't doing, you know, the hottest, even though they're way, way, way up over the past month. But what we really like to focus on is technology. And on the tech level, it just didn't have anything like we've seen in, you know, big ICOs like there were several years ago, NFTs, DeFi, there was no big out, you know, uh, breakout technology. The Ethereum merge had already completed. There were no big upgrades like that. I mean, obviously, that's kind of simplifying things a little bit. And there were smaller, relatively tech updates that did happen and breakouts that we saw over the past year with new companies and projects. But still, it wasn't like some previous years where we've had cryptomania. But also what we had and what the news cycle was dead, you know, dominated by as opposed to technology over the past year or markets was the legal and regulatory news. So we saw SBF, um, Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX Infamy get charged in the beginning of November. We saw Binance's founder, CZ, along with the company, both pleading guilty and CZ stepping down from his role as CEO. We also saw in a brighter note for some members of the cryptocurrency industry, like the the company or, or not, the SEC settling with Ripple, which was challenged for the way that it went about releasing its token years and years ago. But anyway, um, the interesting thing to, to mention here is that with especially that legal and regulatory stuff, they were kind of bookend. They might be bookends to, to this period in crypto if the markets are any indication. So people hope um, within the industry that we can kind of move move past this all. All right. So in the last, you mentioned ZK, but that is going to be my trend. ZK, ZK, ZK. I feel like we were writing about ZK in almost every story, but okay, what is it? Zero knowledge, cryptography, ZK proofs. This is... You know, in a nutshell, the idea that you can prove you know something without actually disclosing the information. And 
this has broad applicability and all sorts of things, but I mean, it's essentially confirming, you know, it's just a way of confirming things. And the idea is with the layer twos, you can basically confirm it. All the activity that happens on the layer twos, you confirm it, and then it, it can be on the main Ethereum blockchain. But, you know, I think people use it for all sorts of things, but uh, you know, Polygon, for example, I mean, Margo, you wrote about Jordi Baylina, who's one of their top guys. I mean, Polygon, for people who followed, you know, who've been, you know, following it for a couple of years, Polygon was such a hot project a couple of years ago. It was going to be the, the side chain or whatever. That was the chain where you could do all these transactions. It was super cheap and, you know, it was associated with the Ethereum blockchain. And then there was the optimistic roll-up. So Arbitrum is the largest one, currently still the largest L2. You know, optimistic technology, which base, Coinbase is base built on. But it seems like everybody's kind of tilting towards the ZK, you know, in terms of the layer twos, they're a lot fast, they settle faster. So you can use them for trading, which is a lot of people is like all they want to do in crypto. Jordi Bailina, you know, he was a ZK guy and he sort of led the, or the whole company, Polygon, sort of pivoted toward ZK. I thought that was uh, super interesting. I don't know. Any any comments there? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think this was the year where we saw a lot of these hit uh, Ethereum's mainnet. And it's going to, you know, time will tell whether these technologies manage to mature to a point where they're secure enough and trustworthy enough that people trust them with real capital. Um, so we haven't seen the inflows yet, even though this was absolutely the breakout year for zero knowledge proof technology inflows in terms of capital. So it, it's still got a long way to go and probably still going to be one of the main stories over the next several years. Yeah. And I also mentioned that we talk a lot about Polygon right now in the context of ZK, but you know, it wasn't just Polygon that came out with their own ZK EVMs. Technically, Matter Labs, deployed their ZK sync era literally the weekend before Polygon did, right? So we talk a lot about first mover advantage here. Yeah. They, you know, Polygon was on a Monday, ZK sync was on a Friday, the Friday before. Scroll was 6 months later. I will say, you know, Starknet's been up and running for a while. It's not technically, you know, similar to like the Polygon and and Scroll and, and Matter Labs, but I will say that, you know, they are ZK and they are a layer 2. So, you know, there are these other changes and we'll just have to see where this goes in terms of where users are going to, you know, perform the most activity on. Yeah, I mean, it almost became like you had to defend yourself if you were not using ZK. You know, I think that's what we talked to Jesse Pollock, uh, who's running base for blockchain and, you know, why, you know, he's sort of forced to defend his decision uh, I mean, optimism, but they didn't even have the key, you know, fault proof needed for, to, to, was the core underpinning of the optimistic technology behind that type of rollup. But, you know, also he was sort of being like, yeah, acknowledging that they had chosen a, a horse that didn't have the ZK. And then his, his sort of way out was, well, we could still do it through some kind of modular setup. Uh, and they still might, you know, who knows? We might see that in, in, in 2024. But anyway, oh, hope I'm not teasing in the next week's episode of our 2024 predictions. I did not do that on purpose, I promise. Anyway, that is kind of the way things go. You know, one trend leads into another and things move so fast in blockchain. I mean, we could say it's all predictable, but it's really not. All right. 
we're going to wrap it up there. That is it for this week. I hope everybody who celebrates Christmas has a nice Christmas. Or if you're taking off time at the end of the year, I hope that's a nice time with your family. And thank you for listening to the Protocol Podcast. And a big shout out to our producer, Michelle Musso, uh, who's back there making sure we stay on time, even though we often run way over time. But today, I think we stayed on time. So thank you, Michelle. If you have any questions about any stories or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Protocol. You can listen to us weekly on Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on coindesk.com. Happy holidays. Thank you.